0: Relevant content for our members, by our members. This is TMC Connect.
1: Happy Friday, everyone. Rich Dworbinski with The Mortgage Collaborative here once again with The Rundown with Robin Rich, where we take you into the weekend by running through the week that was in the mortgage industry. Uh, sorry about the halo effect I got going on here. It's some weird Cleveland uh, winter lighting going on. But uh, as always, pleased to be joining my colleague. Rich in-
0: is not... It's not that you are actually Catholic and have been, there's some kind of,
1: you're not not an angel. I'm a very bad Catholic. Maybe this is some kind of.
0: You're not an angel with the (laughs) halo.
1: So anyway, my esteemed colleague and co-host, Rob Crisman. Rob, great to see you as always. And where the hell are you?
0: I'm in Larkspur, California, which is. Which is about 15, 20 minutes north of the Golden Gate Bridge, standing in a in a park.
2: Were you hiking? Surrounded by,
0: surrounded by redwood trees. For, for folks who have never seen a redwood tree, they're all very nice.
2: Rob, were you hiking in your suit? What's that? Were you out hiking in your suit? What are you doing?
0: I do have my hiking boots on, but uh, no, I just flew back from San Diego this morning. When did you, Kate, it was nice seeing you at the conference. When did you head back to uh, Louisiana?
2: I just made it home last night. I made a quick stop in Houston on my way back. So um, officially left the conference on Wednesday. Actually, right after the Empower lunch. Ah. Yeah.
1: We should probably introduce our other co-host.
0: Yeah, Rich, where are
1: your manners? Rob and I didn't have a co-host this morning. We're like, let's get somebody that's smart, funny, real, right?
0: right. Smart, Rich. Let me let me tell the let me tell the audience, Rich, how that worked. You you know, we're, we're chatting, Kate, and he says, "You know, what about Kate? She's, you know, she's she's better looking than you are. She's smarter than you are. She's more successful than you are." He's talking to me. She's more (laughs) literate. She can speak better than you can. And I went, uh, (laughs) so you, you got the nod.
2: Well, y'all always know how to make things funny. That's for sure.
1: Happy
2: to, happy to jump on quick and, um, have some (laughs) humor with you.
1: And we still haven't introduced her. It's the CEO of (laughs) Eustace Mortgage. One of TMC's first members ever. She's on our lender board of directors, uh, all around good gal, Kate the Great to see you. Thanks for joining yeah, us on No Notice. You too. Um, so I heard that
2: you have hair now and you
1: do have hair now. I have hair. Yeah, Who I, knew? I was bald. I've had hair the whole time. I just uh, I don't know why I've been bald really for a decade, but uh, <laughs> I have hair now. So it's irrelevant.
0: Looks nice. What's
1: your what's your trick, Rich? <laughs> my trick to oh to having hair? Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think it's just genetics. All the men in my family die with full heads of gray hair. So uh, yeah,
2: they say it's supposed to be your mom's brothers, right?
1: Yeah. And that would or be your mom's
2: dad, maybe.
1: Yeah. All that would be would be accurate. So but um and also Kate, a diehard New Orleans Saints fans, uh, before we get started, got to get your take. The whole Saints off season, Sean Payton's a free agent, your former coach. Looks like yeah. Dennis Allen's coming back. Who's gonna be the quarterback? The New Orleans Saints.
2: Well, when you said that earlier, I I didn't actually get to have time to go look to see. Did we make some announcement on a quarterback that I didn't know about yet? Um, You know, our last two seasons have been a struggle. Um, Who knows what we're going to see here coming up before us? I'm not super stoked about our coach. To say the least, I'm certainly happy for Sean Payton and him exploring his options. I've heard some strange rumors about contracts that he's had for the next person that has to pick him up that we're getting draft picks or something. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what's all going on there, but uh, regardless of what I think is going to happen, I will be at every Saints game that I can possibly be in attendance to next year and my black and gold will be hard in my closet. And on my body, (laughs) no matter what, in New Orleans, we're supporting our sports team, especially our Saints.
1: What about the I love? I am a huge fan. I'm a Cavs fan. But my number two team is the Pelicans. I love Zion. I love C.J. McCollum's from Cleveland. I love Brandon Ingram. They just got a lot of guys I like. It's a really good young team. Is there a lot of buzz about the Pels in Nola?
2: Definitely. So the, the young, fun team is really cool to watch. Um, I went to a playoff game last year. I haven't been yet this year. Uh, actually, my family is going tomorrow. So we'll be there supporting, but they're definitely a lot of talk and um, they're getting good turnout at the games. And just, I think New Orleans is always about fun. So if we can create fun, buzz, have a fun young team, uh, we all show up. So yeah, it's been cool.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And the chat is already roaring away with uh, Super Bowl predictions and. <laughs> <laughs> New Orleans uh, comments and all kinds of good stuff. So keep it coming. Keep the Super Bowl predictions coming. Throw them in the chat. We'd love to hear who everybody thinks will end up in the big game and victorious. I've been on San Fran over Cincy. The second gambling went live in Ohio. Mm-hmm. San Fran beating Cincy in the Super Bowl was 45 to 1 odds. And I immediately threw a nice little investment on it. So uh, that's so what I'll are be are
2: you, I know with your location, do you dislike? Or y'all do you dislike the Bengals because of where you are? or What's the situation there? I don't
1: know. You know, the Bengals are a division a hated division rival of the Browns. But, you know, I mean, I hate the Steelers. I hate the Ravens. I don't like the Bengals, but it's hard not to get caught up in Joe Burrow and what he's yeah. and, you know, it is representing Ohio. Um, so we'll see, Rob, your hand is up. Do you have a question?
0: I, I was hoping at some point we would talk about uh, mortgage banking.
1: No, oh, the mortgage industry. That's right.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I wasn't. Oh,
2: like Burrow, he's an LSU guy, so there you
1: go. I'm I'm living in my alternate reality where I've like, a lease. <laughs> but so uh, let's bring it back. Uh, bring it back together. So, all right, let's go ahead and get into. I it.
0: wanted. I wanted to. Yeah, let's let's get into it here. I I, I don't. Uh, I saw Kate. um, last week, a little bit on the uh, on the computer, on the laptop. And I saw her this week live and in person at the IMB conference. And Kate, I wanted to get your or hear your takeaway from, from the event. You were there for two or three days. Uh, yeah. Thoughts?
2: I, so it's always interesting going into those, especially kind of in the market that we're in. And you really think you're going in and everybody's going to be very doom and gloom. And, you know, it's just going to be a somber event. But uh, I found it exactly the opposite. I found it encouraging to leave um, some, you know, of, of course, substantial information about, you know, from uh, Fran and Tony with kind of his predictions of what's coming up in the year. Uh, not to say that we don't have a hard few months still ahead of us, but it just it seems like uh, we're clearing um, some hurdles and going to be in a much better position here as the year goes on. So. Uh, thought the event was great. Of course, great location. I know TMC will be in San Diego in a couple months, so that'll be fun to head back out there. And um, I left feeling optimistic.
0: Awesome, Rich. Is the TMC? Is there was a rumor during the IMB the TMC event is at the uh, Econo Lodge uh, <laughs> in downtown San Diego? Any truth to that? Where Where is the venue for uh, a month and a half from now?
1: We moved it from the Econo Lodge to the Red Roof Inn uh, due to the climate, but no, it's actually, it's at the very <laughs> posh uh, Intercontinental Hotel, which is right on the water over in the marina, right? Like in the heart of like uh, little Italy area of San Diego. So really cool area of San Diego. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that coming up a little over five weeks away. So Yeah.
0: So, but- Kate, so Kate, I would agree. And Rich, uh, I'd like to hear your opinion too. Uh, because some people think that counts, so my my opinion uh, is is similar to sorry, Rich. You know, uh, my opinion is very similar to Kate's. You know, you go into these things and you wonder, you know, what, what is, what's going to be like? It's a credit year, especially the second half of the year. Uh, lenders took it on the chin in terms of revenue and margins and volume, and and vendors are are you know reflecting that as well. And you kind of wondered what was going to happen, but yeah, people, people were upbeat. They were happy to see one another. There were definitely some, some big hitters there, like Stan Middleman from freedom, for example, uh, just to throw out a name, Bill Loman from American Pacific, Steven Milner, of course, uh, <laughs> looking, looking dapper.
2: Always best And uh, uh,
0: We were wearing the same necktie one day, actually, uh, no, we, we were both wearing ties, but nonetheless, it I think, I, rough, think yeah. I think, I think it was upbeat. I think in general, you know, the underlying sentiment was, you know, we've survived, we're here, we may as well make the best of it kind of thing and, and move forward. And so, yeah, there was, there was a little bit of optimism and, and if rates kind of moved down a little bit, and, you know, some co- other more companies go out of business. Some companies are just going plain old going out of business, uh, mm-hmm. especially the smaller firms. And so you don't see that being representative at a represented at an IMB conference like that. But nonetheless, I think the companies that are around like yours, Kate, I mean, the, you know, the more companies that go out of business elsewhere, the better off. I mean, as, as, you know, as Machiavellian as that sounds, it's true. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's
2: definitely a purge when you're in a situation like, like this, which, you know, you certainly don't wish to to many that are put in a bad situation. But it's certain certainly most of the time for the better for our business and for our companies uh, once we get through it. And to yeah. your note, Rob, you know, of course, at the conference, there was every M&A firm that could possibly be there um, <laughs> asking if your company is interested in buying or selling because uh, that's what... Essentially, everyone is interested. You're either want to buy someone or you need to sell.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, one, right
1: now. It's one of the things I love about the cyclical part of this industry. It's like, you know, you, the bad cycles, the lost mid people, there's tons of them, and then they all go away. And, you know, the non QM yeah. and, uh, you know, it's the it sales people in, in more robust cycles and uh, just the ebbs and the flows of, of all that. Now it's, yeah, the MA people are. Are, are circling in the water for sure so yeah there's definitely
2: no non-qm people uh, vendors hanging around
0: this one the the speaking of m a you know what what makes the headline like yesterday um, or maybe it was this morning <laughs> this morning i ran the american pacific news they, they bought another company mm-hmm. but companies like uh well i'm not going to name them but large retail lenders, don't necessarily have to go out and make headlines by buying a company. Uh, an obvious strategy is if there is a a weaker company out there, just to start hiring their producers or picking off their branches. And it's once again, it sounds Machiavellian, but oftentimes when a retail lender goes in to look at another company about buying them, you have to wonder what are you really buying? Are you buying a bunch of leases and office furniture? and you know uh you know potential lawsuits mm-hmm. and if that's the case what are you buying uh, if there's no especially if there's no servicing yeah. but you know if if that's the case then why not just start start hiring some of their branches away or some of their top producers and, and yeah that's definitely a strategy it doesn't make the headlines necessarily but i'm seeing a lot of that going on behind the scenes
2: yeah um, i would was- agree, Rob, and creating that stickiness with your sales team, uh, and then thinking of other owners or, or businesses, um, do they truly have that same stickiness with their sales team? Because, you know, what are you buying? You're buying production, and if they don't have the production, um, it's worth nothing. And I think it's very hard to, especially in this environment, it's very hard to, um, for folks to claim that they have that stickiness and and there's definitely people out there even creating rumors about other companies that may not be selling at all, just to try to recruit their folks. For sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, do you? Here's here's a, qu- a question. Given the, the the news that came out about Flagstar was interesting news. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it was funny, Rich. Before you got on the show here, I was standing here, and the ex-owner or the owner of Bay Equity. Red McGovern, who lives up this road, st- stopped briefly, said hello. Is that his and, backyard? You're in,
1: uh, after the Redfin sale,
0: what's that? Yeah, his Redfin, Redfin. You're in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're laughing all the way to the bank, right? So, <laughs> but but, but when you have an independent percent. when you have an independent mortgage bank, mm-hmm. you look at this news from Flagstar, which, as I said, kind of broke in a funny way. You know, I I get a lot of rumors as does probably everybody on this call. They they get rumors and, and somebody gets laid off. You know, Kate, let's say you get laid off. Let's say you're a loan officer and you get laid off. And suddenly you start telling people, well, gee, if they laid me off, they must be closing the whole branch. And then suddenly... Closing the whole branch turns into closing your region, and then closing your region turns into closing the whole company. Game of telephone that can be have, have very serious consequences to anybody who's impacted negatively by that. But the news from Flagstar was kind of odd because it, it broke on social media mm-hmm. and those impacted. And so I reached out to the ex-president, a, a woman named Susan McCann, who I have a lot of respect for, and she really knows the business. And uh, she pretty much confirmed it, but I couldn't find anything from Flagstar. But getting back to that's a long-winded way of asking my question to you is you look at an opportunity, say a depository, a credit union, or a bank decides to exit lending, residential lending. It used to be the transition from bank to mortgage bank for a loan officer was onerous. It would take you know six months or something. They weren't producing. It was a whole licensing thing. Now, have you hired people from banks or credit unions? And how does that, is that transition much, much smoother now?
2: It certainly does. I have a very live story for you because right after um, that occurred yesterday, we received a call from a branch manager that they uh, we're ready to sign our offer that's kind of been, you know, outstanding, someone we've been recruiting for a long term. And um, and you're exactly right. It's temporary authority has created the ability for us to be able to bring somebody on and then almost immediately <laughs> be licensed with us. And, you know, I think it's 120 days that they have to pass their test, which certainly most people in the business at this point can easily um, pass that test that they've been working as a mortgage originator. So our ability to pick up um, the pieces of these larger banks kind of giving up their regional presence or just local presence is is definitely changed with MBA's push to create that temporary authority.
0: And you don't have to hire an entire team when when, when things happen like that, right? You just pick people that you really want.
2: The producer, yeah, because I mean, you know, I guess with that said, we don't need a lot of other stock right now, so production is the is the
0: key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the one of the uh, other interesting things that I I noticed in San Diego, given the number of vendors who were there, there was a lot of vendor talk in terms of, or I should say, a lot of lender talk about vendors about who are you using for you know loan origination systems, hedging, you know point of sale, marketing, credit and so on. And there was a lot of free flowing discussion that I heard kind of being a fly on the wall in terms of companies that are looking at different, either changing vendors or combinations of vendors and so forth. Did you have an opportunity given the number of vendors who were there? Uh, did, did you have the opportunity to spend time with them? Are, they, are you seeing the same kind of consolidation? in the vendor space, as as we're seeing in the lender space, or does everybody seem pretty set in their ways?
2: I think the vendors seem pretty set in their ways at the moment, but again, I don't think we've had a long enough churn of this for people to truly kind of go away um, that maybe weren't established yet. But I think a good point is is that, of course, we have more time um, as lenders. So getting back into the technology groove and implementation is, of course, key. But on the flip side, you know, if we, we can look at any ways we benefit from the situation we're in, it also gives an opportunity to get into a better contract uh, with our vendor partners or renegotiate vendor partners because they're in need of new customers just as much as we need borrowers to come in the door. So they're much more willing to negotiate on their pricing for you know, somebody that you may have been looking at for a couple of years just couldn't figure out how to bring it into the mix. Um, considering taking on an extra cost if you can get it at an extreme discount, um, it's
0: a it's a good idea right now. This is the Do you, oh, oh sorry sorry Go, sorry time out for a promo station break.
1: <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Gonna say this is the rundown with Robin Rich. I'm Rich, he's Rob. And uh Kate the k is with us this week, the CEO, this Mortgage, uh longtime TMC member. Kate, the Fanny Freddy delivery fee increase news broke last week, right before we kind of went on air and immediately kind of deduced uh this actually sucks. Uh your thoughts and just talking to people this week about it. <clears throat>
2: yeah. So it's definitely interesting, um, of course, the logic behind, you know, where they pick to increase and where they pick to decrease. You can see um, it's trying to open up to probably more first-time home buyer, um, more low to moderate income folks, because we've actually decreased a lot of the LLPAs on the lower credit score model, uh, which, of course, I think that's a great thing. However, if you look kind of at the, you know, it's almost like a target on the grid, if you, uh, to put it. In a certain way, and basically, that target is probably the majority of loans that we're doing um, as a Fannie and Freddie loan, and all of those uh, LLPAs substantially increased. Um, so, you know, when you look at it from a broad business perspective, we're we're certainly pushing through a higher rate to probably to you know the broad group that we're. Um, producing mortgages for right now. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, we say, well, clearly it was this was a push to um, you know, help affordable housing, help low to moderate income, help first-time home buyers. But then they threw this random DTI one <laughs> in. And it's an increase, uh, you know, increase in an LLBA on a DTI, um, which for you know, industry folks, that's an absolute nightmare because you know, while credit score is mostly predictable, it's not like we're we're not very often repooling credit in the midst of the process unless there's an expiration and that's you know limited. Um, DTI is have ebbs and flows depending on you know where you are in the in the transaction process or how how good your loan officer is at calculating income. Um, so that was really, I think, the biggest uh, one that was of topic at the convention, Um, just the hurdles of us managing to it. Um, Also talking about, you know, predatory lending. It's not like folks aren't out there going to just always say your DTI is below 40% and that's the rate that they're going to quote. So putting, you know, more honest folks um, that are trying to be realistic at a disadvantage. So yeah, that DTI one is definitely one that uh, we're looking for MBA to advocate on our behalf to hopefully Get rid of, but you know, as we talk about these things, while it's not you know previous administration pushing it down, you know, with a week's notice or something crazy, we do have some notice. But even when you're talking about a May first delivery and there's no interaction about it, you're we'll probably see aggregators pushing that price through to us. I would say some point next month.
1: Yeah, it's I you uh,
0: know. not not to not not to, to my own horn here, but. I have a great letter tomorrow that I, my guess is after the CFPB sees it and some of the CFPB folks actually read my commentary, I bet uh, that the FHFA will come under some pressure to tweak that. Mm -hmm. So read my commentary tomorrow. It spells out, Kate, what you were just spelling out, there's this, there's this cyclical DTI, credit score, LTV scenario that is, makes things almost impossible to deal with when you're trying to set a price, a rate and a price for a borrower. And they could actually, there's a scenario where if they put more money down, they end up with a worse rate and a worse price. So, you know, how does that work?
1: So, <laughs> yeah, explain yeah, that this, to your customer. <laughs> people not inside the industry make ma- massive major rules about the industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely which, not
2: risk based. Besides the DTI piece, the, the pricing for changes on those LLPAs are definitely not risk based.
1: And, and to be fair, we love Sandra Thompson. She can't, she is so actively seeking feedback from our members and lenders. My, my sense of how it's going down is Sandra's kind of going to, you know, treasury and saying, you know, I need X amount of money to help borrowers between 620 and 679 that want to buy a home. And they're like, all right, well, find us twice the amount of money in the other buckets in case these loans go bad just to be safe and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, it's not, it's, you're like cutting off your nose to spite your face. In the chat last week, we asked lenders like roughly how, what percentage of your GSC volume falls inside the buckets where the delivery fees went up and we got a a mirror. I'll invite people to put the same in the chat. You can do it anonymously um, just to the hosts and panelists. Uh, It was between like 70 and 85% of -hmm. all loans, you know, and the bucket that is having the delivery fees reduced. That's a bucket where you have more denials, more loans that are not approved anyway. So it it just, you know, when you really look at it.
2: The next point is like, uh, again, I feel like Sandra is, is looking to create the right initiatives. But when you talk about it and you actually put it in play, that group is typically an AUS denial. And so, you know, if we're not adjusting what DU and LP are giving a group eligible on, then changing the LLPA adjusters isn't going to get us anywhere. So you would think
1: with, you know, all that and and some of the holes and flaws that people have found in these new models, that coupled with the inevitable just, blood of business to FHA that would put additional, you know, risk and and pressure, credit pressure on FHA and the MMI funds overcapitalized. Maybe that's their strategy with the MMI fund overcapitalized five times the legal level right now. But I mean, because right, Kate, I mean, if if it enacted, this is going to cause just tons of business to go FHA, right?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think particularly the DTI one, for sure, um, and and the others, uh, I think it just, it really depends on uh, what FHA does, because I, I am hearing some murmurs that they may be reducing their MI.
1: Um, so, I can't you know. believe that hasn't come out yet. I mean, that, I'm starting yeah. a little worried. I mean, I remember we had Julia Gordon on the FHA commissioner, 12 days at TMC. It was like December 1 or 2. She made it sound like it was intimate. After I listened to her speak, I felt like, oh, by the end of the year, for sure. But Jan 27, still nada.
2: Yeah, I think it's just a confusing message, to be honest. I think they're like, do, do you want to have these loans fall in Bany and Friday? And if you do, we need uh, reductions and risk-based uh, criteria on the AUS runs or are we sticking with FHA as our core product and and do that and run with it?
1: Should be interesting. Never a dull moment, never <laughs> government, man, a post meltdown, obviously they were way in it, but the government is way very in the mortgage industry right now. Um, you know, with an election season, uh, all of a sudden kind of right around the corner and housing again, you know, it's kind of a top issue right now, Rob. Anything you're hearing on this delivery fee stuff, or FHA migration of business, or potential rollback? I think here's what you're alluding to—a prediction that they would roll this back.
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I don't know if Sandra Thompson reads my commentary or not, but I'm gonna, I'll send her a version, and she'll write back a nice little note. But um, there, there are ramifications when one. Agency, the FHFA, if that's an agency, I think it is, uh, makes a change, and what is the impact on FHA and VA? What is the impact on rural housing? What is the impact in other parts of the housing ecosystem? It all ties in together. I think that uh, I think that they will change, Uh, and I know Philip asked a question about, uh, you know, are they going to roll it back or or tweak it? They'll probably tweak it. There was some reason why they did it, you know, to to focus on underserved borrowers. And if they, if they are focusing on underserved borrowers, what is the impact of that on say FHA lending? Uh, Because so much of FHA lending targets that, that group. So yeah, it's funny, but Rich, I need to, I need to, to uh, open Kate's kimono here a little bit because we were sitting there at this event uh, was day before yesterday. And I said to Kate, Look, look at kate kate's getting nervous already uh-huh. so i'm getting nervous I, 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 the, well
2: thing, we weren't around each other when i had too many drinks yet so I'm, i feel a little bit safer
0: <laughs> no, no. so so i said kate you know do you do you, are you ever bored by this business and, and she looked at me like i was from mars and she said are you kidding this is the most exciting business ever every day i go to work i'm energized there're new things happening we're helping borrowers very very enthusiastic so kate hats off to you so rich uh, i'm glad uh, you got kate on the on the call here but there is a lot happening and i think that interestingly enough if you look at the you know we're kind of knee deep obviously or or neck deep in mortgage banking but if you look at it from a nationwide point of view as we said before, Rich, there's nothing really broken right now about housing. There's nothing really broken about lending. Yes, there are a lot of changes that can be made, Yeah, you know, especially with regard to housing and affordable housing and supply and demand and so forth, and you got the Srebinski plan that keeps floating around Congress. I know maybe, maybe it's time to re- revisit the, I mean, the, I would the argue the, inventory, you know.
1: is, the housing inventory sy- system An issue in America is broken. I, I mean, I, 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 that I would argue is broken. The f- housing finance, not at all broken. Uh, I don't, you know, I think that's, you know, I can always critique things, but, but you would, the- you would think, you know, somebody
0: sent me some Goldman Sachs, uh, some Goldman Sachs forecast and, um, And it was something about, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to, you know, these four markets are going to, you know, tank just like they did in 2008. And I'm sitting there reading these Goldman Sachs forecasts saying, you know, Phoenix is going to plummet and San Jose is going to plummet. And I'm thinking, you know, what the heck? And then you hear these stories about builders scaling back their production. And you would think if inventory was in such great demand, builders would not be scaling back their production. They would be you know, gobbling up swaths of land, you know, 20 minutes near San Francisco to build, you know, 300 homes. And they don't seem to be. So, well, because they can only you, build so homes you cycle.
1: that are, you know, what is going to be greatly in demand is the homes they won't build. You know, that's the problem. Yes. The homes well, that
0: I was just going to go there and the, the production costs, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the permitting costs, for example, and the ability to get water piped in and so forth and so on. It's, you could say that that's broken, reflecting in in broken inventory system. But you know, you would hope that supply and demand take over. Uh, and plus, on top of that, there's really no um, you know puppeteer's hand above all of it to make it work. It's all because it's so disjointed. You're right. That part is fractionalized, and that's causing major problems, especially with inventory. Um, but yeah, if, you know, housing and so forth, not. It's not, It put, let me, let me phrase that differently. I would say it's not a big issue in terms of a po- politician or, you know, what I don't think housing or finance was a big issue in the, in the election in November. You know, maybe it will be in 2024, but probably not, you know, we're, we're, we're functioning as an industry. We're making loans, you know, things are getting done. You're right. Inventory is an issue, but that's not a national issue so much that a politician is going to really latch on and, and, and carry over the goal line if you want me to use some more sports analogies
1: a year from now i will guarantee it they're going to be forced to deal with it and it's going to be bad issues it might be two years a year but what i'm what's going to happen this year i'm telling you right now is you know the fed's doing a good job with inflation you got rates in the fives now apps are up 10 percent uh, week over week last couple of weeks you know i think you have home buyers that are starting to make peace with higher rates that are not historically crazy. I think you have home sellers that are starting to make peace with, uh, you know, if it's uh, cutting prices or concessions, I think you're going to have a very healthier than expected purchase market this year. And home values are going to continue to go up. They're, we're on the little reset now. The crazy cities are getting their reset. But if you live in uh, Cleveland and Milwaukee or uh, Chicago, home values are going to go up this year. And, and affordability is going to become a massive an inventory, a massive issue, like a year from that would be my prediction, but we'll see.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I wish, I certainly wish we could get um, someone, you know, more on our side, politician wise, that, that sees this as an issue. Um, new Orleans, uh, surprisingly, is ahead of the game. And we do a, um, have a rule for new developments that require affordable housing, a percentage of affordable housing be built within it or rental or you know, whatever the case may be. Um, honestly, the percentage is fairly low, but there's, of course, incentives that go along um, with the creating the affordable housing as well. And I, and I think if we just don't get into a direction that helps the, the issues that Rob talked about with the reasons that we know why builders aren't building that in the first place, and we can create some sort of incentives around it as well, or at least have requirement, requirements be built in within um, whatever the other uh, building is that they're doing that is not in an affordable housing atmosphere, we would at least get somewhere. And we're just we have no we've taken no steps to fix it.
1: Yeah, nothing's being done at all and uh, just continue to get worse. But Rob, <clears throat> I,
0: I can't quite see. But have, have there been any questions asked that we need to uh, address while well, we've got Kate and we're, we're dwindling away here a little bit on
1: time? There's a great point. There's actually a great comment in the chat from Dottie, a very loyal fan of the show, saying, I would like to see a true one time construction product available through the GSEs. It may allow builders to develop affordable single family without carrying all the costs. Dottie, this is an incredible idea. This is something I've talked about for a long time. The GSEs actually were close to doing this. I remember distinctly because we were talking with them about it through our partnership. Right before when Mel Watt was the head of FHFA, like they almost had this done. And then he had that sexual harassment thing and it, he went away and it got railroaded. But the GSE is offering an affordable C2P product. It would help independent mortgage bankers make construction loans. It would help builders with costs. It would help a lot of things. There is some interest rate risk to the GSEs on it, having to offer a fixed rate for in nine months, essentially, but you could bump it up a little bit and, you know, mitigate it in other ways. So that was the uh, only thing I saw uh, in the chat. Kate, any thoughts on, on that uh, one close? Yeah, to-
2: I mean, I know they um, had are doing some manufactured home um, kind of programs that are similar to that and pushing that along with affordable housing, but you know, I think more, even more targeted towards builders. Um, Of course, I think you just open the doors for the, you know, MSAs, joint venture type people to just gobble all that up and no one else really have an opportunity to do it. And then you have people that are just interested in making a lot of money and probably not (laughs) affordable housing. So I I don't know.
1: That's a great (laughs) point. That's a very valid point to that. If you did do that through the GSEs, you'd see a lot of, you'd see all the, like. A lot of the realtor esque marketing services agreements with the builders ramp up like crazy. The builders would love it because that's more money for them. So right,
2: the, the builders with their you know mortgage companies tied to them, um, I think you would just see that fall right into that category. And they're they're not typically looking out for the best for their customers on the mortgage side.
1: Excellent. Uh, what else in the news this week? Uh, some just those. Been a lot of positive reports, pending home sales, new home sales, both up for the first time in December, first time in in many months for both of those, and just a general sense that the mortgage market is kind of coming to life. And Kate, I would assume, like most, you've seen better app activity these last few weeks and some general optimism to start the year, which is good, especially the way Q4 was last year.
0: Yeah,
2: agreed. I think, again, that's a lot of the reason why it seemed a little bit more positive, um here at the recent conference and just people are are starting to see I believe the light at the end of the tunnel you know I still think Q1's going to be really tough it's just turning a little bit off of where Q4 was.
1: <laughs> Rob anything else in your inbox or discussions this week at uh the. I,
0: I had a question um uh, Kate because it, it came up some at the at the conference this week um and I, earlier, I mentioned you know, a lot of talk about vendors out there. And Of course, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about the fact that a loan costs more than eleven thousand dollars to uh, to manufacture. And lately, the whole uh, credit situation has been a topic. And yesterday, I went to a uh, like the last session of the conference, and, and there were uh, some some folks there talking about. Uh, Well, I'm not really too much allowed to talk about what they were talking about. But uh, uh, when you look at the cost of loans and you look at the cost of credit and how many players are in the credit, quote, space, do you think you – well, have you changed the way that you do business given the fact that getting a credit score, running running credit, verifying credit – has gone up have you instructed the loan officers to do something different because of the cost of credit
2: so it's interesting and this you know ties in with the work number issues as well they're both um just outrageous on the consistent increases in their charges uh of course very frustrating for for us given you know the environment and just in general uh certainly seems like price price gouging and we've we've changed our you know, there's some like waterfalls that you can put in. We've had a lot of that in place. So, you know, if this, then that, then it only gives you one credit score. Um, and I've seen, I think we have to get to the system and I know it's available and a few um, folks uh, vendor-wise have it available. But um, I would like to dig in further on, can you get an AUS to run with one credit score? But then also how realistic is that AUS run? Because if the other two scores or, you know, whatever, twenty. 50 80 points lower is it is it a valid AUS and so I certainly think there's ways to develop and and even dig go further down than we have because we have changed our practices um you know but not to the extent that it's causing a massive decrease and what you're because we do pass that most of that cost through to the customer if they close the loan. So it's really just the pre-portion that you have to kind of figure out what's the sweet spot and what is still giving your customer the information. <laughs> because you certainly don't want to say you have a pre-approval or you know, AUS approval, and then it just rolls back because you didn't get a full picture of their credit. So and and because you know, of course they're charging us more, but then all the bureaus aren't equal. Some report, some get some items reported and some don't, Um, so then you just don't necessarily have a valid credit score or or a complete picture of the loan file if you're only pulling one. So it's definitely a tricky um, path to go down. I think even more so is them, um, on top of charging us more, also selling our customers as leads. I think that, that part probably angers me more than, um, than the cost increase or I guess the combination of the two. Um, because I mean, we'll have customers getting called, you know, 200 times, um, by very pushy, uh, other lenders that are, you know, obviously very hungry for business. And that was definitely a big topic on, on what, what, if anything can be done for that to stop. Yeah.
0: i i printed out the, uh, what is it opt out, opt out screen.com or mm-hmm. www opt out.com many times, maybe it's, maybe I'm due for another one. And I, when I put that out there, some people will write and say, well, by the time the bar fills that out, you know, it's too late or, yeah. or whatever they, whatever they That's say. Yeah. Um, uh, so do yeah. for a repeat. Right. Once they once they do it, then
2: basically it only Triggers well. First of all, of course, it has to record, which who you knows, you know, may take a week, and then um, and then the people that already received their lead can still keep calling. It's only anybody that would get it after that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, like you said earlier. Like Rich said, you know, it's always it's always something. We're we're too, I remember some years ago. It seems like the the history is always encountering these things, whether it's LO Comp or Trid or the new 1003 or whatever it might be that we're going to, you know, it's going to doom us and woe is me and mm-hmm. so forth. And as an industry, we keep, we're like that, you know, the clown that you hit and it pops back up, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, as an industry, we, we tend to, to pop back up and, and gee, the CFPB didn't put an end to mortgage lending and, and, uh, and so on. so. Yeah, anyway.
2: 2019, Amazon and Costco are gonna put us out of business, but
0: oh yeah
2: <laughs> look how that's far right. that's gone. And then you see stories like better with their one-day mortgage, and you know, it's um I think a lot of it is more people that are in fear of technology taking over. And you know, I just say we're so, we're so slow in the industry to adapt to technology. I don't, I don't see that happening.
1: We still don't have e-clothes fully. Like
2: right.
1: what, is it, what is <laughs> it? What is it? A stone tablet and a chisel? Like, I, I just unbelievable to me. If you would have told me ten years ago we wouldn't have e-clothes in 2023, yeah. I would have slapped you in the face. Honestly, it's like it, it's insane. I. It is crazy. But listen, if you're a technology company, I hate to say it, this is a tough industry to go into. It's so freaking up and down, and it's one silo, and it doesn't mesh with other financial services always. So I think that's part of it too. But uh, it is certainly frustrating to lenders and leaders like yourself, Kate, that we don't, we still have a process that is still this manual is is kind of baddie, but uh anyway we're optimistic note now so you know after the the fourth quarter of doing the show was uh set me into a, a deep uh, drinking uh, uh phase. So we're, luckily uh, january has been much more rosy and are you
2: dry uh, january rich
1: no no, okay. we're, no mean, let's, not, let's not get yeah. crazy well, what, what, what i am in the mortgage industry you know um, <laughs> i know rob and I aren't
0: because
2: i just saw him so
1: <laughs> rob once had a dry Tuesday back in 1984 <laughs> Yeah, so, but, uh, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll never forget it, it was rough. <laughs> oh, anything else before we uh, take this, uh, show to the weekend, Kate, any, uh, weekend plans in uh, the big easy?
2: Well, we're rolling into Mardi Gras. So, um, I'm in now that I'm home for a bit, I'm going to be in full Mardi Gras. Prep mode.
1: Last time I was in, <laughs> War, like, unbeknownst to me and you, the, the pandemic was starting, with all the free Mardi <laughs> Gras. Yeah, like we were just part of that. We, TMC was in New yeah, Orleans like uh-huh. a week before all hell broke loose yeah. with the pandemic. So, so Robin uh,
2: got some fun out before the pandemic, right?
1: We did. That was very fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Too fun, potentially. Rob, uh, anything going on in the Nottingham forest this weekend?
0: <laughs> Not that I know of. <clears throat> I'll keep an eye out for, uh, for Little John, but. <laughs> no you know playing some hoops tomorrow morning and uh it's kind of an average weekend actually there you go doing my thing you know working on monday's commentary that's what i'll be doing much of much of this weekend
1: good stuff excellent well as always thank you very much to all of our attendees we're here every friday live at 3 p.m eastern on the rundown uh here live also on YouTube after the fact and on a podcast where most of you listen. If you're listening live, don't subscribe to the podcast, TMC connect, Apple, or Spotify and uh, get the show in your feed. So Kate, thank you very much for joining us on no notice. Great. As always appreciate you. Yeah,
2: Thank you all for having me. I always love to talk to you both.
1: And Rob, yes, thank great. you very much. Good seeing you and uh, she'll be talking to you and uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. Bye, guys. Everybody.